Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen converted pole position to another Formula One win, overcoming a sudden downpour at the Monaco Grand Prix to claim his fourth Formula One victory of the year, beating Fernando Alonso by almost half a minute. So the grid order of Verstappen, Alonso, Ocon is how it finished in the end. That does not tell the story of today's Grand Prix, even though Saturday qualifying was pretty good. I tell you what, Monaco, despite its critics, delivered today. Let's hope our correspondents deliver on the podcast this evening. Never in doubt. Uh, Two of our chaps who we've uh, dispatched to go and cover the Grand Prix for us is Matt Q and also Stuart Codling from GP Racing Magazine. Codders, how's uh, the Monaco experience been for you this year? You've been many times. Uh, It's been fabulous. Uh, I've very much enjoyed (laughs) um, showing some of the younger members of staff around the circuit because, you know, as the best-selling author of the Life Monaco Grand Prix book (laughs) available at uh, any... Never misses a trick to promote the book. (laughs) Any Available at bargain bin near you. We lucked in with our accommodation uh, after our Airbnb cancelled on us in the middle of last week, just a couple of hours before the Imola Grand Prix was cancelled. Uh, and we found another place, which is a bit of a schlep, but I would describe as highly salubrious <laughs> surroundings. Um, and of course, you know, the only downside with going to the Monaco Grand Prix is the other people one has to share the press room with, particularly, you know, the the croissant abductors and sandwich thieves who, when the comestibles are laid out, they're seen scurrying away from the scene, bearing armfuls for their little personal stashes while the rest of us go hungry. Mm. This happens every year. This year you were determined to take your own... Filled baguettes from the supermarché. Did that not happen this year? I thought you were taking a little, your little Mickey Mouse lunchbox. There was nothing Mickey Mouse about our lunchboxes. <laughs> You're dealing with trained professionals here, so yeah, of course, we, of we turned up mob-handed with our own homemade comestibles. I, I was enjoying a very pleasant salad of spinach, 
sun-dried tomatoes, a mixture of tomatoes and uh, local goat's cheese every day, which is very healthy and delightful. So I just laughed into my socks while people drove themselves insane over a sort of thinly spread focaccia (laughs) with a little bit of pesto and a tiny bit of cheese in it. Damn you sandwich thieves from the press area. When will people just become decent humans? Let's get into talking about some motor racing today, which is probably what some of our listeners have tuned in for. Many have tuned in of course for the uh, uh, comestibles update we've got to say yesterday on the saturday podcast jbl who is somewhere lurking in the background busy writing writing of course for autosport.com and the magazine out on thursday predicted rain he said look it looks like it's certainly going to hit where your accommodation was and it's a high chance of happening lots of people wrote that off and he was bang on the money. Max Verstappen chose exactly the right time to pit for his intermediate tyres, which he stayed on, like everyone did, uh, stay on to the end of the race. He also started on the medium tyres from the front of the grid. Second place, Alonso, started on the hard tyres, which could have played out without the rain to be actually a really interesting strategy call. Those medium tyres in the hands of a normal driver in a normal car were meant to last about 40 laps, but of course, Max Verstappen and Red Bull are neither, certainly not normal, and he extended that stint beautifully and when the rain came down uh, just timed it perfectly the timing to go to intermediates was absolutely brilliant whereas uh, with Aston Martin had got Alonso in to change his tyres for another set of slicks and then one lap later did what they should have done which is go for the intermediates they're not too bothered about that strategy call they, I mean nothing kind of gained nothing lost in that situation they were running second they finished second but did they blow a possible Monaco win today let's discuss that with that man. Uh, Matt Q, first of all, so what do you think of uh, Verstappen's victory today? He made it look easy, but was it? Absolutely. Like, Martin, I, I know when I do the uh, podcast on the video, I try not to repeat myself too much, but um, I it's think fine. it's worth going back to our conversation from earlier, which is, you know, Perez has uh, been associated with this. It's got to be a cliche now that he's a tyre whisperer. I sort of roll my eyes when I hear it now because it's a bit of a lazy epithet, but he does have it for <laughs> good reason. Uh, but that's been sort of lesser talked about since he joined Red Bull. And I don't think that's because he's lost his ability with the Pirellis. I think it's just such an underrated, underappreciated, lesser talked about trait of Max Verstappen that he is absolutely Perez's equal on on extracting the most out of the rubber, managing the graining as he was complaining about over the radio today. You know, that that's where a huge amount of praise should be should be sort of heaped upon Verstappen for his performance. Yes. The Red Bull's faster than the Aston Martin. Again, it speaks to the, the strength of that RB19 that, you know, going into the, this weekend, the talk was what the Aston Martin could do with its ability to be late on the brakes, its traction out of the low-speed corners. Ideal for Monaco, if anywhere, the Red Bull wasn't going to win this on paper as a track where that was going to take place. But, you know, the massive operating window of the RB19 has just been customised to to favour the street track or certainly certainly it has with Max Verstappen I'm sure we'll get onto Prez not mm. extracting anything from the car really uh, this weekend <laughs> Connors finds that <laughs> finds that amusing but yeah he, Verstappen, Verstappen was brilliant uh, I'm glad it rained because the race was tedious up until that point so uh, we didn't quite get to see how any of the tyre management played out and uh, I know our job as selling the race to, to readers has made a lot easier when you can call on uh, some weather rather than uh, trying to pedal tyres as the main talking point um, <laughs> Verstappen had it licked, didn't he? There's an amount of gamesmanship going on. The usual Christian Horner talking things up and trying to make it sound diff- more difficult than it was. I, th- I think sometimes Christian Horner, to me, is starting to channel Nigel Mans- 
whistle, you know, he's like, oh, I lost second, third, fourth, and fifth gear. When he tries to make something slightly... I can't slightly talk, more. I'm unconscious. <laughs> True story. Yeah, and, and he was saying, oh, you know, we, we were really under the strategic cosh because Fernando was uh, on the harder tyre and it was more durable and uh, Max was absolutely at the giddy limit of his tyres and it was down to the canvas, etc., etc. But, you know, the, the, the fact was that uh, Max pretty much had that race won even before the rain fell. And and then the, the rain did introduce a, a nice little spoiler and add a bit of confusion. And what do you know? Who, who were the most confused? Ferrari. Of course. Fernando Alonso couldn't match Verstappen's lap times in the first phase of the race. Like you say, he kind of, uh, apart from concerns over a potential puncture, uh, was reassured that tyre pressures were fine. It did come back to him as those medium tyres that Verstappen started on began to struggle almost, you know, well over 50 laps into the race as they were just waiting for the rain. What did you think at the time? Did you think, which side of it were you on as you as the rain was coming down? Were you thinking, okay, everyone's got to go to intermediates now? Or, or were you kind of on Aston Martin Alonso's at the time? Because Ted Kravitz in, uh, you know, in real time was saying, oh, yeah, it's not wet enough for intermediates. And of course, hindsight, wonderful thing. Of course, that was the tyre to go. And what, at the time, what were you thinking? Do you think Aston Martin had made the right move, Matt, or not? Well, you know what they say about, you know, longer tracks like Spa or the Nürburgring where you can have a soaking wet sector at one side and, and bone dry the other. Well, that shouldn't really apply to Monaco, but we saw the rain yeah. come in over the bottom end of the track as well, although it's obviously uphill by the casino. And we had sort of small letterbox windows out the out the press room. Well, I looked outside, I thought, is it, you know, not not as nice as the rest weekend, but quite a pleasant day. So it's sort of, <laughs> you know, at that point, you uh, to, to use the analogy I use from the video, if, if this is football, you, I, you, I, I'd be more inclined to play it safe and, played to the whistle as it were and the conditions around you so when the bulk of the track at that point was dry then I you know stick stick to the hard tyres JBL who as you say is busy writing his report <laughs> the other side of the room we're having a quick discussion of this before he's he's waving by the way Martin says you're oh, doing hello. a fabulous job hello uh, thank you <laughs> we were sort of discussing you know could Alonso have, have won this race? And because there was a significant five-second tyre delta that, okay, he had the phantom puncher that wasn't early in the race and dropped mm. from three to six seconds back. Obviously, that's taking a gap at face value and assume Verstappen isn't managing the hell out of his lead and could have been 10 seconds up the road. We were discussing the various options available to Aston Martin. Obviously, if he pits at the same time as Verstappen, you maintain a status quo and overtake where, was it Damon Hill tweeted earlier there hadn't been an overtake for Leeds. It's, he did it on a lace in 1996. So uh, so the chance of Alonso coming past meritocratically was, uh, was, were, was slim. He can't pit any earlier than Verstappen because conditions around the track, it simply wasn't wet enough to for justify that. As JBL was sagely pointed out and, and analysed, you know, if he if he waits another lap on those hard tyres and the temperatures drop too much. So from that perspective, I think Aston got it bob on and, and there are a team that's, you know, with the Honda engine deal, the new factory, they're building to a crescendo, aren't they, where they think they can fight for titles. They're not there yet. So I totally understand why Alonso is so pleased and Aston would play to bank a second place when mm. the win might not have been there. It's a conservative with small C choice and, and probably the the right one at the end of the day. If they do the same thing as a much quicker RB19, you know, they've got a zig when they zag, right? So they have to do something different, a contra strategy. Monaco was meant to be, if we're ever going to get a race this season where Aston are going to do well, where the 
some of the RB19's big strengths are minimised. This was going to be the one. And Max still dominated by almost half a minute. Yes, OK, so Alonso did two stops and that makes it look worse. There's 20 seconds for a pit stop here and etc, etc. They came here not as favourites. I think they were, by the way, but many people not talking them up as favourites. <laughs> they still did so well. Aston Martin, though, still happy with a, a second place. What did you think of the Aston situation? I don't think they did anything wrong. I don't think they made the wrong call. And I'm going to say some slightly unpopular things here. Uh, possibly the least of which is is I'm going to mount my white charger and ride to the rescue of Ted Kravitz. And, and, and <laughs> He'll be very grateful for you doing this. Go on then. Cast yourself in the position of anyone who's on elderly tyres. So that's not just Max Verstappen, but also Fernando Alonso. And also the McLaren team brought Lando Norris in to swapped a a fresh set of tyres just before it really intensified. And you have to judge the quality of this decision-making, as ever, by the intelligence that was known at the time. There was basically a big rain belt to the north of Monaco, just on the other side of the mountain, that could quite happily spill over at some point and probably would, uh, depending on which way the wind blew. But they weren't sure what the intensity would be And the best information they had was that it would be light and short. So when you're looking to make a decision on what tyres to put on the car, when you're coming up to that window, you do not want your driver to be out on any portion of a wet circuit on old slick tyres because then they lose temperature and it's like they're they're sort of like the wheels on a roller skate. They've got no grip at all. And then secondly, as as, you know, you know, if you can hear the thunder of who's now as I ride to Ted Kravitz's (laughs) defence. okay, so it might not have been wet enough for intermediate tyres in the pit lane, but it was really, really wet on the other side of the circuit where Ted couldn't see. And even people watching on TV, I don't think they appreciated how wet it was uh, around Portier and around the hairpin. The McLaren team principal, Andrea Stella, said to me earlier when we had our little mini press conference that it was just me and uh, an Australian journalist attending, he said that this was an unconventional race in that there was no, there wasn't the usual conventional intersection point, the crossover, Mm. where the the intermediate tyre becomes the right one to have. The for the majority of the lap, the slick tire was still the one to have until you got to that really wet point on the circuit, at which point it was treacherous and you were going to stick it in the wall. So at that point, you have to go into survival mode and use the tire that enables you to survive that point of the circuit. And people who watch the race on TV will have heard Max and his engineer discussing this. And, and reaching that decision that they were going to hold on, hold on. Okay, right, now we go to intermediates. And, and other people sort of thought, who thought that it was going to be light and short, uh, went to the slick tyre and then had to come back in for the intermediates. But it's very easy to make these judgments in hindsight, knowing everything mm. that happened and knowing that the rain intensified and think, well, that was a stupid decision. But at the mm. time, the best information these people had was that it would be not a very protracted rain shower and that it would stop very quickly whereas actually it it was a lot more intense for once the people who sat and waited and and took their time about making a decision prospered and that was max but as as you saw they they just drove away from the aston afterwards but Mm. once you're on the intermediate it was really just a question of confidence and you saw with with lando norris once once he got on the intermediate and he started pushing it 
the tyre temperature came to him and he took 20 seconds out of Carlos Sainz. Granted, Carlos was looking at the back end of an Alpine, but that's, <laughs> that's still a lot of time. And he did an overtake on Yuki Tsunoda, which was which was very well done. So, th- Yeah, both McLarens did. And, and they looked quick in the wet, uh, or at least in the in the damp conditions. The McLarens looked much better when it was, when it was dry. But uh, I think so much of this, we're waiting till Spain and Barcelona next week before we can start to get a read on some of these team upgrades that have happened. We, of course, will get to praise Esteban Ocon in a moment. A brilliant third place. Could have been George Russell's. Maybe shoulda, woulda, coulda if George hasn't made a mistake. Lewis Hamilton, fourth. He'll be very happy with that in a Mercedes uh, full of, of upgrades. And George Russell in fifth. Charles Leclerc. And then sort of the the, the, the three-pack that came home. So Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly in the Alpine, and Carlos Sainz in sixth, seventh, eighth. Lando and Oscar Piastri, as you mentioned, uh, ninth and tenth. But uh, before we get on... Rather than doing it in order, let's talk about teammates. Sergio Perez did the worst possible thing, which was bin it in Q1 on a Saturday in Monaco. So timing wasn't good. You can then, if you want to do a redemption race, they tried to do that. So let's forget that it was going to rain a little bit later, but he pitted after the first lap. So he was last anyway. So coming up after the start, straight into the pits, went onto the hard tyre. He's used both compounds, could have gone to the end and made up a load of places as everyone in front of him. Him pits, and that's what you need to do. Clean race, possibly getting into the points if you're if you're very lucky, if you're very good. And of course, none of that applied because Perez had an absolute stinker this weekend. And I mentioned that because, as you know, you and I did a video for the YouTube channel earlier. I saw several comments as Perez did really well earlier this year that I wasn't giving him enough praise or recognizing the championship battle that was brewing within Red Bull. And as I said on that video, you can't, you know, an, an off weekend is fourth or fifth, not playing, you know, rig on and maximizing it. You can't have a weekend like this and then still expect to come out and say, well, I'm a championship contender because he just made it, you know, the, the errors compounded this weekend. And so, yeah, I'm not having it. So if anyone still says to me, look, you're not giving Perez the the, the championship respect that he deserves, that's not a championship winning campaign. I, I mean, am I being too harsh on him after just one one stinky weekend? It's not even a champignon winning campaign. Oh, do you know what? I've been, during, during the analysis of the onside, I've just been sat here looking across our sort of lounge diner just longingly at college thinking I aspire to give analysis like that and he drops some joke like that I think nah I'm happy being here I am. <laughs> he, he builds it up and he knocks it down and I'll, I'll bring it I'll, I'll steer it back on let's talk about Perez and Horner called it a horrid weekend and it, it, it that that's has to be the assessment I don't want to be too sort of you know playing up too much but start with crashing in Q1 so Verstappen might have argued that last year it was a it was a strategic crash from Perez in qualifying that came back to haunt him in Brazil this was a error not only is he then crashed out in Q1 to scupper his his chances at a place you can't overtake he's also you know eaten into the permitted parts so gearbox electric store uh, electronic stores energy stores he's then also with the most potent car that has a hundred percent success rate He's then forced it to be lifted with obviously the unique sort of um, car recovery system they have in Monaco. All of Adrian Newey, Pierre Vachet's hard work has been revealed to not only to the TV cameras and, and, and photographers, but also to all the rivals. And, you know, we, we went and did the we did the rounds this morning. All of them were talking about having seen the RB19 floor. Mercedes weren't worried so much then that their their, their own floor had been uh, been sort of unveiled to the world because they were, all eyes were on, on the pace setter. So there was 
a window where the commentary we were listening to during the race were talking about, well, you know, if, if this plays out as a straightforward race and uh, if Perez can run long on the tyres and perhaps he can gain gain that way with sort of, you know, again, like nursing the, nursing the tyres to the end. But then I let me go through my scrawny handwriting in, in the dimly lit uh, uh, environment that we're in. But I've got, say... Pits at la- end of lap one for Haas. Then there's contact with Sergeant into Raskas. Uh, there's contact with Magnussen, Stroll, and obviously he's he's a bit more of the innocent party when when um, Russell rejoins. But then Perez drops it all by himself and doesn't he? he smacks the outside barriers going through the swimming pool section. So more damage done. A, a clumsy race. Nothing on his teammate. And okay, I never really bought into the idea that. Perez would take a fight for the title with Verstappen down to the wire and perhaps we were guilty of running away with that idea as I say that we is like a royal we for all all <laughs> F1 fans for, for earlier in the season also you know let's not forget that people were saying it of, um, of at some points last season when Max was struggling with the initially overweight RB18 but the the golf in, in quality for this one weekend and you know you can you can quantify it. there's been a 25 point swing because Verstappen's won a race and Perez has got nothing so a 14 point gap in the championship has now become a 39 point gap I think yep. is my yep. terrible yep. darts level maths uh, doesn't <laughs> fail me and it, it was just it was a really poor performance like the, the criticism leveled at Perez you know, last season was there'd be too many anonymous drives when Verstappen was winning, but anonymous drive, as you as you mentioned earlier, Martin, was a, a fourth place, a fifth place, not a, a point hyphen less outing. You know, mm. a completely pointless outing. So, yeah, a bit of a shocker from Perez. You go, you know, move on, go to a more conventional track like Spain. Obviously, if you lean into the the school of thought that Perez is way better than Verstappen on street tracks or something, has a lick, then you know, more conventional tracks isn't going to help him there. What a shocking weekend. He, he needs to move on to forget it. How many of the great championship seasons have, have ever featured a, a, a drive sort of quite, quite or a weekend long performance quite as uh, mm. underwhelming as this one? And talking teammate battles, the other teammate battle, of course, is not even a battle. It's Alonso pretty much holding up their end in the Constructors' Championship. And Stroll just... Well, it was always a matter of, well, when's he going to finally bin this one? He was the first driver to retire today. It was scruffy. Even on the first lap, he went for a gap that wasn't a gap. And then uh, just... But again, all weekend, just not doing what... If you're going to call him the second driver, he is the second driver at Aston Martin, what he needs to do for that team. There's a real danger that Mercedes could beat Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championship if they continue to score very well with Hamilton and Russell, keeping clean a much bigger points haul today, which they did, um, in, in the Constructors' Championship in a far worse car this year. That certainly would not be... Uh, it wouldn't be just, at least. What do you think of Stroll's performance and the job that somebody, somebody has to do at Aston Martin to say, um, you know, would you possibly like to do a little better job for us next time out, please? If you wouldn't mind, Mr. Stroll, please. Thank you. Well, you know, that's tricky, isn't it? You know, time was, if he were driving for Williams, let's say, in the time of Sir Patrick Head, then of course Patrick would have come down. (laughs) Oh, there's an impression. There's an impression incoming. It would have been sometime between the first bounce off the wall in the wet (laughs) at the exit of the hairpin before he came to rest, slamming it into the uh, wall on the left. 
as he came to the right-hand turn, you would have seen, the camera would have cut to Sir Patrick Head saying something un, unrepeatable. There'd been a crackling noise in Lance's ears as the radio came alive, and Sir Patrick would have said, uttered the immortal words, whatever it is that you do, do it better. Uh, which, of course, you know, you, you can't really say to the son of the owner, but, I mean, really, whatever it is that he does, he needs to do better. Now, of course, there are many idiots who populate web forums who like to use the Ayrton Senna catchphrase as a mic drop. You know, when you no longer go for a gap, you are no longer a racing driver, which is fine. It wasn't a gap today. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> it's not a gap. And, and, of course, you know, I, I've seen Matt Q do some very innovative gap ceiling during his manoeuvrings around Monaco yes. uh, and he's he's done very well in traffic but you know when you go when, when you go for a gap that's not there as he did on Alban or try and make your own gap as if he'd sort of some you know perhaps his dad had sent him had bought him a make your own gap kit for Christmas or something <laughs> it was just it was just an utterly ridiculous bimbling maneuver and that it in in his favor well, say he was reporting an issue with the engine that it was kind of overrunning slightly and making it hard to stop the car towards the end. But I think he'd have struggled to rank above Germany's finishing position in this year's Eurovision, which I believe was Nolpois. I watched the I watched back the video that we made earlier for our YouTube channel just to see if I'd been a little bit too kind because I, I I described him as a very good motor racing driver on a on his day. He's pretty handy. In a car, he'd be the greatest Grand Prix driver, but if whatever he wants to go next, go race sports cars or something and uh, and spend spend his money on. I may have been, for those that go and watch that video, I may have been a little too complimentary in my assessment of, of Stroll. He has no doubt had the best of coaching. Uh, he had a very good junior career, by the way, so he did very well, but he also had the right machinery and all the right coaching to, to get there. So is that the limit of his his talent today when the pressure is on he needs to go home if he's got stairs in his home lock himself in the cupboard under those stairs and uh, ponder his life choices and have a word with himself i have no doubt there are many staircases on the stroll yacht the super yacht that he flew back to straight after uh or i'm sure while the race was still going but both of those teammates did not do their job today and uh both alonso and and verstappen you know holding up their end for the entire team whereas if you look at Mercedes today. Let's get on to them. I, they'll be very pleased. Hamilton should be pleased with fourth, and they should be very pleased with converting. What was it? Kind of okay qualifying into fourth and fifth. Okay, so yes, because Lance Stroll wasn't where he should have been in in superior machinery. Because Perez should have come home second. He Perez should be coming home second every race, given that what he's got available to him. But still fourth and fifth. Uh, and Ferrari fluffed their line. Surprise, surprise again. They'll be very happy with that. A big raft of upgrades. Visually, with the side pods, looks all very different. Of course, it's, it's as JBL told us yesterday on the Saturday podcast, it's what you can't see with this car. And although we all saw underneath the car, Toto Wolf very unhappy about how high and how long it was dangled in the air. I don't think anybody was really blown away from what I read online. I think uh, getting to see underneath the the Red Bull was far more interesting and not too much given away from the Mercedes. So still work to do there. Let's talk a little bit about those upgrades. 
Of course, the teams have to show off their their wares before the weekend these days and tell us, all us media, uh, what they've done to the car. Do you think we saw any of those improvements coming through this weekend or is it really just a case of uh, bolt them on the car, don't bend any of those bits and let's go racing next weekend in Spain to see what they can really do? Yeah, I've been I've been throwing this one around in, in my head a little bit because, you know, a four, five result when a couple of the Ferraris or, or you know, the Ferraris or Stroll, like you say, are out the picture, that's entirely conceivable with the previous shaped car they have and this is obviously not a change in car concept it's just a change in sort of bolt-ons and what you can see but there's also a new suspension but uh, system because we know how you know Hamilton has been complaining about balance despite having you know built quite a you know mm. some part of his reputation on ability to manage sort of a wayward rear and yet he was still complaining of the rear and and so it, it like I know they said you know they wouldn't change revive their fortunes fully over one night but and and you obviously have Monaco which is now live a circuit anyway and a horrible place to validate such a significant upgrade and you know the the killer line Toto used as well we were awful in Monaco last year and now we're just not good so you know by that measure there is some progress but I suppose what they've been selling to us the media and probably to themselves is that the theoretical peak of the previous concept was was sky high but never materialised. So you have to hope now by starting with something different that, that there is enough trajectory to, to surpass where they were and then keep going to close the gap. So that won't, you know, we won't fully understand that until a few, you know, a few laps around um, Spain uh, and the races after that. Like, it's just the fact that the drivers were still complaining about the same same things. Mercedes still, okay, yes, they've got a lot to validate, but having almost the same problems as they had before where they come out of the block slowly in FP1 and then they're decent by the time it's the final stint in the race, you know, Yes, mm. even through their title winning pomp, it was all about their race car as opposed to their qualifying car. But they are slow into weekends. They're losing time. What Wolf was saying to in in the you know session after the race is that basically when the track is rubbered in, we're 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 less performance. So I know I've just said that right at the end of the race is when they're strongest. But now, you know they're the inverse of that. So whether actually the rain going away or the rain arriving and, and, and sort of washing the track of its grip is why Hamilton was that much closer to Alonso. But it's just not the most inspiring, but it is it is early days, isn't it? It is early days mm. of sort of, of their recovery. Everything's been sort of built on built on this mark. But I don't know, I just you would hope to have seen a little bit more perhaps. Tricky to read that last portion of the race because, you know, with the in the initial phase, in the wet, Ocon running third, Lewis fourth, George fifth. There was sort of a point where Lewis wasn't really closing on Gasly, uh, sorry, on, on Ocon. And George was going great guns, coming up to the back of him and starting to lobby the team to say, to, to sort of dropping hints that, you know, maybe you should let Lewis, let me get Lewis to let me pass and then I can... Um, attack Ocon and see what I can do that that was basically the long and the short of, of what he was suggesting on the radio without actually uh, using those words there were obviously conversations going on that we were not privy to with the radio that was shared with us because miraculously um, Lewis then found another second or two a lap rather in the same way that a few weeks ago I, I blew out the many cobwebs in my wallet and found a pound <laughs> coin in the in the little coin receptacle. Uh, and it's, oh, look, what a, look, I've found a second a lap. George had a little intersection with a barrier around the circuit and, and dropped back. So we didn't really see what he had. So, so for me, it's a little bit 
difficult to see what what we can say about the performance of that car uh, and also probably a better result than they would have expected because Ferrari um, got themselves in massive disarray again and probably finished behind where they might otherwise have done so I, I think Mercedes will be pleased with the result they've got but probably deep down know that it was not massively merited and a great result today for Esteban Ocon and Alpine a lot of the work was done on Saturday of course starting third but despite they fluffed a bit of a pit stop and managed to obviously with the George Russell mistake where yeah, he would have been third uh, today. They came home third. And so I wonder if the CEO of Alpine, Lauren Rossi, will be looking at his criticism that he made of the team on French television a little while ago, calling them amateurish, bad, flawed and mediocre. Um, well, he's certainly got away with words. I wonder if he'll be sitting back this evening thinking, well, that's obviously the way that I need to motivate the team and the people that work for me. And I just need to go in with a very heavy two-footed tackle. And then look at that, we get a podium next time out. I'm not sure that's the the best way to motivate people. It could just be be timing. Gasly was in seventh, having a look here, about a minute behind, but of course it's uh, uh, with the rain and, and what have you. But I, overall, it was a strong weekend for Alpine. What did you think? Yeah, I, I, I think the Gasly's performance went a little bit under the radar. I think he did pretty well and he def- defended strongly towards the end and he put on a solid performance throughout. Um, certainly when Ocon had that long pit stop, uh, I kind of thought that, as they say in France, les jeux sont faits, but um, somehow he managed to contrive to stay in front of Carlos Sainz, uh, which uh, was, was quite mysterious. So uh, Esteban managed to pull it out of the bag. Uh, once again, he's proved that, uh, rather in, as, as with his victory in Hungary, that when he's under quite a lot of pressure, he can just soak that up. And, and drive really well because th- those were perilous conditions. I'm not convinced that Laurent Rossi issuing threats to fire everyone is the best way to motivate people in a Formula One team. And certainly for someone who's not that experienced in motor racing and seems to, I, I wouldn't say slightly have ideas above his station, I, I would sort of think that given that you know, Matt and I have been talking about this and also we, we discussed it in the Flat Chat podcast with, with Mark Gallagher as well, who's business expert, knows all about management, that sort of thing. You have someone who's a CEO of a car company dropping in and doing seagull management and playing at being the, the big cheese of, a, of its racing arm on a weekend. That's not really a recipe for success. I think he probably needs to... Uh, step back a little bit and let Otmar Zafnau do his thing as team principal. Absolutely. That's why Otmar is there. He's been doing this for multiple decades and he knows what he's doing. So employ the right people, let them get on with their job. If you're not happy with the people in the team and Alan Prost was, was gone whatever his role was within that French French team. So obviously his face didn't fit. And so let people move on and do their own thing. Uh, but don't have those people in there and then criticise them for doing the job that they do. But maybe he'll think, well, there we go. That's, my, that's how we, we manage people. And they go and get a, they go and get a, a great result. Alpine had a, a big development year last year. Uh, couldn't always get the reliability that they needed, but the development was was good. Um, Matt, how are you seeing their 2023 campaign at Alpine? Obviously, if their season was going well, then Rossi wouldn't have set up his own interview with French TV to annihilate the team and yeah. 
rest assured I'm fully in alignment with with Cod is on, on that style of I was going to say diplomacy, but it's the lack thereof. You know, it was lack of. I believe yeah. it's known as gunboat diplomacy in uh, the back. Of, historians would call it. Yeah, no one was convinced really? in the press conference when Franz Tars said, "I don't trust my engineers anymore." And and likewise yes. for Rossi, it's not the right start. And if my boss said that, I certainly wouldn't be motivated for them. <laughs> I'd be on uh, whatever whatever website that is where you can review your bosses under a pseudonym. <laughs> anyway, that's getting distracted. <laughs> but Rossi, Rossi's. Wouldn't have made those comments if, if they had have you know stitched together their season better. It was unreliability uh, from the get go in, in in Bahrain and you know the litany of uh, penalties received by Ocon. Of course, the, the the two drivers wiping each other out to squander double points finish on Australia. So yeah, it's been a torrid start to the season. You just have the whether Aston Martin have excelled, yes, but you know they were seventh last year. Alpine were fourth, best of the rest, hoping to close the gap, and they've been usurped. So you have to have to mark that or you have to put that as a mark against them this was a much better executed weekend you know what what an amazing qualifying session where we're looking at that final sector and Raskas in particular for why Alonso lost pole or why Verstappen gained pole over Alonso that you had Leclerc in there was you know brilliant but then Ocon fourth place uh, to become third when Leclerc had a penalty. What a story. What a, a fantastic lap. You know, particularly as, uh, there's no there's no Paul Ricard or no French Grand Prix on the calendar for, for Ocon and Alpine. That is that is a home race. That's brilliant. So fantastic result from him and, and to maintain that in the race, obviously keep keeping the car on on the island and, and you know staving off the, the, the any threat from Hamilton later on. It was a fantastic performance. Was it one swan or one swallow doesn't make a summer? A swallow, I think. <laughs> a swallow doesn't make a summer. Apologies. It's very late. But, you know, they now have to go and back that up from... They have to go and back that up in Spain. As Ocon said, we cannot get carried away. He's nice, nice, quirky, sort of ever slightly uh, lost in translation. He said, well, we need to... We can't take our feet off the ground or something. Or or, or as a way mm. to say, we we must keep grounding. He's absolutely right. And Alpine, you know, again, with the, the slight spanner in the works at the Imola race cancellation sport with teams... And their upgrade timeline Alpine are then trying to validate a new side pod uh, tweaked floor and and revised suspension in Monaco which obviously isn't ideal so they need to basically make sure that if Monaco is an outlier and basically representative representative of a sector in Azerbaijan and, and a bit of Singapore you know that's all well and good, but that's that's a tiny percentage of the calendar they now need to make sure that Spain wherever you know that, that they have a they have a car that's more receptive to more traditional tracks so if they can back this result up obviously I don't mean that as in another podium because mm. we've, we've talked about the contenders wiped out that but if they can get another sort of solid double points finish and I agree with Collins that Ga- Gasly drove well also then that is a sign of real progress because what they banked on as you said last uh, last uh, you said of last season Martin is mm. that they were out developing rivals they basically every time they put a part on a car which in a cost cap era you have to be ruthlessly efficient with. It worked. It delivered the performance and handled in a way that they anticipated it would. So they need to continue that. And that was in their plan because they are now what halfway through the second or third hundred race five year target that they've committed themselves to <laughs> since Renault rejoined. They're, they're halfway through that. And, you know, they want to close the gap to the top three this season. And they want to do that by out developing all other rivals. And, you know, the, that also means getting another fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. Well, Aston Martin are doing their best to make sure that doesn't happen in the early part of the season. But if you you know want to get ahead of yourself, then you'd say the upgrades are, are, are sort of picking up where they were last season. 
Absolutely. As I mentioned the, the importance of both cars doing well. That's why Aston Martin are just a point ahead of Mercedes, 120 versus 119. Alpine down in fifth in constructors, 35 points. Uh, so after a great, uh, easily the best result of the season, easily the best result uh, in, in, in Monaco, you're right, they need to go away and, and replicate that now and forget the first four or five races they had uh, this year but if this is the closest we'll get to a home race for team france then there is a home race for local man charles leclerc and well just what another forgettable bad monaco grand prix it was for leclerc this weekend in fact for both ferraris carlos Sainz having a very carlos Sainz race messy at times got very angry on the radio then apologized after very very sorry for being angry on the radio ferrari please don't find me i kind of understand why those conversations fly around i mean the the whole idea of hamilton going to ferrari is silly and that's never going to happen he doesn't need 40 million euros a year he doesn't need to go to a team uh, that is arguably doing worse than the mercedes trajectory uh, right now but anyway uh, but that conversation then comes around with charles leclerc of where will he be racing in the future? Mercedes will need a Lewis Hamilton replacement to race alongside George Russell. And I understand why those 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 conversations happen with Charles Leclerc, because if Ferrari keep having weekends like this, that's a massive talent that's just being wasted. Uh, how did you read Ferrari's weekend, Codders, this weekend? Backwards, I think, uh, is, is the only way to look at <laughs> yes. their yes. race. Um it seemed to be unfolding all right. And then Carlos was getting scrappy behind Ocon, biffed him, went on at the chicane and yes. started to sort of act as if he was getting a bit rattled. And then I, I don't know if the hysteria spread to the pit wall, but then they decided that they were going to pit Carlos in reaction to the Mercedes that was miles behind and was not a threat. Uh, rather than focus on getting past Ocon, and if they just held on, they would. They, you know, they 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 could have undercut Ocon, maybe. You know, the pit work notwithstanding, but because mm. they were sort of, it, it reminded me of the denouement of the 2010 season, if you recall. Um, Fernando Alonso was driving for Ferrari in with a shot at the championship, um, and they inexplicably pitted him to cover off. Um, I think it was Mark Webber who was behind because they thought, well, Mark Webber's ahead or thereabouts in the championship, so he's our target. And they just they, they developed this target fixation uh, and pitted him at a stupid time that left him stuck behind the, the slowly driven Renault of, of Vitaly Petrov. Uh, and, and that's basically what they did with um, Carlos Sainz today. I, I, I was astounded and I couldn't believe it and I still can't explicate it. And, and, and that basically... Was, was sowed the seeds of the of the end of their race because they ended up having to double stack the the the, the cars uh, when when they pitted for intermediates in scenes reminiscent of last year's um, ridiculous Farago. Uh, one almost was inclined to um, go to YouTube and pop on the what's known as the Benny Hill music yakety sax, I believe is <laughs> is the actual title of. Of the music. Yeah. Do you remember a couple of years ago when people were saying about Red Bull or Mercedes that, you know, oh, it's a brilliant car when it's in the lead, but it can't race and, you know, because of mm. the way it handles the, the dirty air, it can't, it can't do anything. And that never really sort of manifested itself. Well, Ferrari haven't been the dominant force, but they've managed to design a car that does behave like that, where it's only sort of really happy when it's in, in clean air. So 
partly why Leclerc has been brilliant in qualifying. Also partly because in the comparison with Red Bull, Red Bull would probably put a slight... I'm not going to say an emphasis on race pace, but certainly in, in, if you imagine the scales is, is sort of more even between Saturday and Sunday, whereas, whereas Ferrari is you know, much more biased towards one lap pace. But anyway, the car cannot handle the tyres. So if they push, they get extreme graining. And if they get extreme graining, then you know they're, they're, they're sort of powerless to, to mount a, an attack. They can't maintain the times. And obviously by the time, if they go the other way and try to sort of, introduce the tyres and, and build them into the window well Verstappen's already several seconds up the road or whoever their rival is so Leclerc's race was already run I suppose because of Monaco's lack of overtakes mm. by the penalty the five place grid penalty and then and then the same tyre woes came into effect and then and as, as Codder says then you get the, the calamitous the strategy call so it's just it's it's almost like a, you know I don't know Codders is a, is a fan of going through you know the music back catalogue of famous acts. Well, this is Ferrari's greatest hits, isn't it? But all, all the all the cast off ones. You've got bad strategy, <laughs> poor execution, and then and then the real sort of Ferrari problem of last year with Matteo Bonotto. Well, the source sort of seems to be maybe falling into a similar trick of sort of defending the bad strategy decisions to a fault. So uh, yeah, it's not a good look. A, a bad race. A bad race for them. Yeah, it's, it's like the deep cuts playlist for each artist on Apple on Apple Music, which basically is a lazily assembled collection of B-sides and album tracks. I was going to congratulate you earlier, Codders, on on using 2010 as a, as a reference and being so contemporary, <laughs> uh, and, uh, which is pretty good for you. Glad you brought that up because well, I'm sure at some point we will be doing a, uh, a Red Bull uh, feature because it looks like if they continue like this, it could well be Canada uh, that they get their 100 wins. And so what I think was going to be Spain, but obviously with the Imola, uh, Imola situation, but going back to 2010 with the uh, the beginning of their dominance, really. So there's a big milestone coming up for Red Bull. I'm sure we'll be making some stuff for Autosport magazine and the website around that. Let's continue talking about some of the, uh, the action that we saw today and some of the notable performances who stood out and who didn't do so well. Uh, let's just sort of rattle through, really, and, and pick off a few that looks interesting. Yeah, so we talked about we, McLaren a little bit uh, looked pretty quick actually in the damp conditions and not so good earlier on but um uh, Matt you and I were talking earlier and you were saying that uh, actually Oscar Piastri standout performance rookie season in the wet on a street track and there's no you know broken bits of carbon fiber heading back to Woking today he kept it all in the right place, scored double points for the team and probably didn't get enough recognition today or hasn't so far for what was a pretty good performance. I think so. If you look at it on paper, he's he's done absolutely what's needed. It's followed, you know, uh, Lando Norris over the line, ninth, tenth place, double points. I, I, certainly many points last season or over the past two years, you couldn't have banked on Daniel Ricciardo, an eight-time Grand Prix winner, doing the same feat. So impressive with the headline result. Like you say, he's, he's not, you know, done a Mick Schumacher from here 12 months ago and, and <laughs> taken seven figures out, out the uh, out the budget mm. cap which is extremely useful for the team and although um, you know sort of De Vries quietly acquitted himself well if you compare it to the other rookie performance of Logan Sargent he was mega but the one thing that really stood out to me <laughs> is well first of all you know uh, Piastri has called it his most difficult weekend but just sort of uh, just a bit sh- shrewd shrewd bit of driving from him in the fact that he, he said you know, I've never driven a, a contemporary F1 car in the wet, so what a place to do it, Monaco. So, 
why not learn from the best? So a bit of blue flags and he sits behind Max Verstappen, watches his lines, learns about his throttle application, how he's navigating traffic, how he's using that, you know, the casting line to avoid avoid the, the, the shiny rubber that's then got a layer of water over it. I thought that was really, really impressive and just sort of, you know, it shows the, that he's got that extra sort of... Um, uh, brain space while he while he's driving a Formula One car to sort of you know pick and choose what he does and a sort of slightly amusing uh, add on I, I just I just follow up the question it's like well you know what was Max doing was it all right and it's like yeah nothing I can do I, I you know felt like a match for pace and I you know I thought I thought that was an all round good answer uh, so I, I I just yeah bit of, that's probably you know against the headlines of. Ocon or, or Ferrari or basically everything we've discussed on the pe- uh, uh, of the podcast something that could get sort of fall, fallen uh, behind uh, fallen between the cracks but I thought I thought that was pretty mega from Piastri plus he executed a overtake in the wet overtook Yuki Tsunoda and yeah. when yes both when, when the car yeah. got a bit squirrely under him because it was a, it was a less neat overtake than um, Lando Norris had achieved a lap earlier that he, he sort of snatched a break a little bit and he was perilously close to sticking it in the wall but he he modulated it perfectly and got it back uh, when a lesser Ooh. driver dare I say it a Mick Schumacher might have um, expunged a seven figure sum against the barrier Ooh. on the outside of, of, of that corner Yep, for now uh, he's holding up uh, their end for the Aussies, and uh, they'll be they'll be pleased he did well today. Of course, I, I was thinking earlier uh, before we came on uh, about Daniel Ricciardo, who is just sitting there warming the benches at Red Bull, and Nick De Vries really needed to have a, a decent weekend for Alpha Tauri, and I think Nick did didn't score any points in twelfth, but uh, but did okay. But uh, I kind of I found myself thinking, oh. Come on, Perez! If you if you keep doing this, stick stick Ricardo in the car, and he'll get some decent results. And that and that is unfair. I know I've not been the biggest fan of Perez on this podcast, but um, uh, that would be massively unfair. He is deserving of his place in that team. But of course, uh, I don't know what they'll do with Daniel Ricardo. I say for now, he's just happily just hanging out and warming the benches, like I say. But whether they'll deploy him somewhere with AlphaTauri this year, or I don't know where where he goes. He said he wants to be with a in 2024 a championship winning seat paid and displayed as we say he looks happy enough i mean he's still getting is he still getting paid by mclaren as well uh, no but they was there they, a deal? They, they paid him to do one i think is the, the that's not quite the the way it's expressed in the contract <laughs> every reason to be happy this year but uh, what opportunities he has next year or you know even long term I, I i don't know but uh, formula one is heading into a really exciting few years with uh, some decent hopefully a few decent seats on the on the grid up for grabs. Who else did okay this weekend? Bottas in 11th. Um, I didn't pay a huge amount of attention to him um, this weekend, but Bottas 11 and uh, Joe in 13th. So uh, pretty good. No points scored, but that looks like a good result for Alfa Romeo um, this weekend. Williams could have scored. Days like today is when you sort of see a team Williams up in, you know, they, you look down and all of a sudden they're in an 8th or a ninth. just because when the rain comes down, but that didn't happen today uh, with Alex Albon in 14th. And uh, yeah, I mean, Matt, you mentioned Logan Sargent. He's, that was, it was bad this weekend. It wasn't like we had, he had a bit of a bad weekend. That was a really bad weekend. Pretty bad season so far for Logan Sargent. So um, yeah, he needs to turn that, uh, turn that around. As for the Haas cars, we saw, was it, uh, which one of the Hasses was Sergio Perez trying to mount at one point? It was Magnuson, wasn't it? He went under his 
under his gearbox. I think it was Magnussen. Yeah, the Haas sponsors will be delighted uh, because you know so much time was spent focusing in, in that sort of slightly jejune opening half of the race uh, when the, there wasn't really a lot going on apart from the sizzling, scintillating battle for fourteenth place uh, as. The, the, the queue built up behind K-Mag. Uh, and then, of course, the team made the inexplicable decision to just leave him out on old hard tyres to sort of, in the hope that the the rain would just kind of go away. Uh, and, and he ended up, uh, and then they put him on full wet. So you sort of think, okay, well, you've, you've made one bad decision and then you've kind of uh, lumped another bad decision on top of that. And then they ended up having to, bring him back in again uh, and so they were basically essentially building a Victoria sandwich cake of terrible decisions uh, sunk cost I believe uh, other people would call it uh, just layering bad decision after bad decision and not knowing when to um, when to call it a day uh, Codders any sort of highlights or lowlights from the rest of the field that we haven't mentioned yet today who caught your eye um, you mentioned Bottas uh, I, I was amused to hear him sort of say at one point in the race well this is about as fast as I can go I'm not going to be able to overtake De Vries but then you know when when the when the, the tide changed uh, towards the end of the race sure enough he got by I think I think we saw a pretty good Bottas race that that car really needed other people to retire ahead to do well um, Haas I, I think you know their drivers were on a sticky wicket really because the car wasn't working this weekend and the team didn't really seem to they, they sort of seemed to have a the, the the strategy was kind of throw a weird idea at the wall and see it what see what sticks and the drivers will have to deal with it and uh, neither of them could do anything with the strategy they were given and the car they were given so but that that was also pretty much uh, disastrous and then Yuki Tsunoda um not a race that will rank highly uh, in in the the sticker book of his career you know he's told that he needs to work the brakes a little bit harder to get a bit of temperature into his tyres and his uh, response to the team was something along the lines of, are you trying to make me crash? And then, sure enough, he made himself crash. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts on the highlights and lowlights today? Yeah, I was just, just going to sort of dwell on dwell on the Afatoris a little bit in, in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's a no-right result for De Vries, um, you know, tricky conditions, so plenty of praise for that. And we know he's under intense pressure for the future of his seat. But I suppose he was he was helped by Sonoda having that wobbly at the end because Sonoda was on to get at least one, possibly two points. So, uh, so uh, yeah, De Vries, I suppose, did enough. But that that's about the only thing. Maybe maybe something you know, Hulkenberg, just just to just, just to talk about. Obviously, he got a ten second penalty for this. Um, you know not working of the team working on the car during the five second penalty which is already a th- you know as we saw with hmm. uh, uh, with um, sorry Alpine and, and Bahrain and obviously the uh, the appealed uh, successfully appealed Alonso penalty and Saudi Arabia is, is another moment for discussion but otherwise you know he, he he was okay throughout the weekend considering he hasn't raced at this track since 2019 he's coming to do it in a new breed of very heavy very big cars so that was alright and yeah yeah looking at Logan Sargent, at which point, yeah, running out of positive things to say about the runners and riders from, from this race, I thought. He's a very polite yeah. chap, is Logan Sargent. I'll say that for him. Great manners. Which, uh, as Codders, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I don't think you'd say after transcribing uh, Lance Stroll's what a very long-winded, eloquent, thorough explanation of how his, uh, how his race fell apart today. Yeah, extraordinary. It lasted slightly <laughs> more than a minute and consisted of him 
um, lightheartedly arguing with someone who'd mixed up who he might have had an interaction with on track. And when asked to talk through his opening lap, said, yeah, messy, lots of carbon fibre, and then didn't say another word. So I kind of thought, you know, well, thanks for wasting everybody's time. Go to that cupboard <laughs> under the stairs. I told you the cupboard on the super yacht, and there's plenty of staircases on the on the stroll super yacht. Uh, that's where he'll be. He'll be. Uh, he'll be fine. I have no doubts. Uh, so that is our review of the Monaco Grand Prix for you. There's lots to read on Autosport.com and also in the magazine out on Thursday as well, and of course in the 500 stuff to catch up on online. And uh, yeah, so McLaren. Uh, didn't send any broken bits back, but there are some broken bits of some IndyCar McLaren stuff uh, coming back their way, which caused uh, one of three red flags in the Indy 500 and a last lap pass to win that. But no spoilers here in case you haven't caught up with it uh, yet. We'll have a review of that on the channel uh, very soon. Uh, make sure you are following us online for all of the latest. There is no let up in Formula One action as the teams now pack up from Monaco and head to Barcelona uh, where we'll get a pretty true read of some of those upgrades that the teams are bringing. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you on the next one. Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.